for the win. It's good. Fires over the middle. Collins at the goal line. Touchdown, Miners. This is the Mineshaft, a UTEP football podcast, part of the Republic of Football Network. Now here's your host, Colin Deaver, and former UTEP kicker, Gavin Beckley. Special edition of the Mineshaft Podcast, a Republic of Texas football podcast presented by Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Colin Deaver here in the KTSM 9 Sports Office. Joining me live is Gavin Beckley back in El Paso, man. What brings you back? Uh, live and in person, you know, came back to um, support one of the homies. It's his birthday uh, tomorrow, so came out for his birthday, looking to have a, a great time. So, yeah, that's about it. Big plans this weekend? No, not really. I fly back out tomorrow, so kind of get in, get out, say what's up to all the boys, and and then head back. Cal Wallerstedt, linebacker from last year, is also here in studio, refuses to get mic'd up. We'll uh, throw shade at him throughout the podcast. Before we get going, Gavin, we are a real podcast here, man. We are uh, officially sponsored by Home Field. They just released their UTEP Miners kind of throwback line of clothing within the last week or so. So if you use the promo code MINESHAFT, on home field. Oh, we got it. We have, yeah, we have our own promo code. Let's go. <laughs> like we're a legit podcast against all odds. Uh, use the promo code Mineshaft, and you can get fifteen percent off your first purchase uh, of any miners' apparel um, on Home Field. They wanted me to talk about my personal experience with Home Field. I don't have a shirt yet. Okay. Uh, we are apparently getting shirts, the two of us. But Sweet. that's my personal experience. Is I mean, what a what a sight to to give to ugly guys like us free shirts so um well first of all uh is this your when's the last time you were back in el paso uh before today um it was after pro day i think i came up for um the awards that we went over the whatever those are called golden pick awards yeah golden picks that was the last time i was out here don't play with the cable by the way oh my bad I get nervous. Gavin's over fidgeting here at the <laughs> with the brand new microphone we got. Um, I guess what uh, what's your favorite thing to do? Like when you come back to El Paso, like the first thing you have to do, or the thing you know maybe maybe it's not the first thing, but before you leave, you got to do this. Um, I mean, obviously, go get some food from some local spots like Lucy's and stuff. Get some good food there, and then obviously hang out with with some of my friends and people who I've made close relationships before I have to head back to Dallas. Are you going to go to practice or anything while you're here? Yeah, I'm going to practice tomorrow, which will be Saturday morning. Gotcha. All right, do the guys know you're coming? Um, Coach Price does, but I don't know if he told anyone. I didn't tell anyone, so. Gotcha. Well, we won't release this podcast until after you're, <laughs> you're We had the idea initially to like roll up there and just pull the camera out and just be grabbing guys for the podcast. And yeah. Get them over there. But what are you, uh, you know, former specialist? Uh, special teams player of the year in conference USA last year. Got We don't say that enough, man. We don't. We got to give you credit. <laughs> what are you? What are you hoping and expecting to see from the crew tomorrow uh, when you go out there? When they're, you know, I guess two a little over two weeks into camp now. Yeah, just some built up confidence that that they need to go into the season and just kind of consistency that they they had been showing um, previous to me leaving and hopefully they've kind of built on that and continued that that upward trajectory to hopefully. Um, be ready for the season and kind of be locked in and have as good of a year we did last year. What is like the weirdest thing about going back? I mean, I, 
you've done it a couple of times, you know, pro day. Is it weird going back as a former player? Uh, yeah, because obviously since I had started playing in middle school or been on like an official team, I started in Pee Wee and stuff, but from middle school on it, I've always been a part of a team. And now that I'm done, it is kind of weird. It's like almost bittersweet because it's like, man, I, I wish I had one more year to play and be with the guys. Cause obviously you get there and your time just, just goes so fast. Like people say it all the time. It's, it's so quick and everything and you don't realize and then you wake up one day and it's your last game of your senior year and you're like yeah that that did go by really fast so i mean just cherish it and and do the best you can while you have that time what um i guess has, have you spoken to coach price or ramos or any of the guys about kind of how things have been going for them at camp yeah i mean i've talked to i talked to coach price pretty frequent frequently um and he just said everything's been good um there's there's good chemistry throughout the guys and he's just looking to see um continued improvement kind of like i said earlier on on how uh they're they're kind of gelling and everything for me like as a reporter i always get this is around the time of fall camp where i'm just like i'm so sick of this i'm sick of going out there every day asking the guys how they're going to be this year like i just i want it to be there like yeah. is this is it the same for you guys like do you kind of hit a, a doldrum so to speak in fall camp where you're just tired of practicing every day um yeah i mean it gets to that point because it's kind of the same repetition and it's not that you're tired of practicing it's that you're just tired of anticipating the season and the first game and everything um but i mean it it goes by pretty quick um obviously you want it to go by faster because you'd rather play games than practice but practice is super important whenever it it comes to learning the playbook and everything and then especially for kickers just being consistently kicking in front of the team and having those pressure situations on you you got to like those, too, because we uh, have spoken about it a little bit previously about the two-minute portion of practice that you guys close, like, basically every practice with. Like, for just to explain real quick, the guys will put the first-team offense out there. I think sometimes it's against the first-team defense. Sometimes it's the scout D, whatever it is. And they just have, whatever, minute 30 to go 65, 70 yards to try to get a winning touchdown or a tying field goal. Like, they change the situation up. Um, every single time but for you I mean is that the f more f most fun part of practice uh, when you're at UTEP like because you have kind of an opportunity to kick a quote-unquote game winner yeah no definitely um, in the I would say five percent chance that we need a field goal to win because it's always touchdown or always touchdown and two point it's rarely rarely field goal but whenever you get that chance yeah it's definitely definitely probably the most fun because it's like I get to go kind of kick a, a mock game winner in front of everyone and show them like that we're ready and, and how, how good we are. So it's it's definitely an exciting time of practice, especially for, for us. We're not really um, just going out there and kind of just kicking to, to get reps and, and to get consistency and stuff. That's when you kind of prove what we've been doing in practice. Um, I was We were going to do this last week uh, for Gavin's story time and have you just describe like a typical special teams guys practice because Cal's sitting over here as a linebacker and he's working his ass off the entire time and he probably thinks Gavin is just down there in the Sun Bowl just screwing around so what do you like what is what are the specialists like an average practice for the specialists all right so um let's say it's a Tuesday those are our long days so um we'll get out there we'll have our meeting uh maybe like seven fifteen, and then we'll start practice and stuff at nine so we'll the specs will get out there at like 8.15, 8.20 to warm up and kind of get some practice kicks and stuff and, and make sure we're ready to go because the very first period we have of the day is field goal. 
So we'll kind of warm up and do all that, and then we'll go into a full team warm up. Um, then first period is going to be a live field goal. So we'll kick about six to eight reps there with the team. Um, and then after that, we'll usually go down to the Sun Bowl and hit about 20, 25 field goals um, with just the snapper holder and kicker. And we'll go through all the uh, kickers and all the snappers and everyone. And then we'll go ahead and hit some punts um, going with the wind and against the wind. And then if we have a, a team with a good return or something, we'll kind of go down there and hit a couple kickoffs, whether that's like skies or just onsides and stuff to stay ready. And then after that, we'll kind of go back up um, to the practice field um, and then kind of kick into the net and stay ready. And then um, probably like five, 10 minutes later, we'll have either punt or kickoff coverage. And then we'll have a little like 20, 30 minute break um, where we're just still kicking in the net and everything while they're, while the other people are um, doing seven on seven and other drills and stuff. And then after that to end practice, we'll have either um, punt return or kickoff return and then that'll be practice and then obviously at the at the end we'll have two minute and yeah I mean that's that's basically it they we're always working you might not see us always out there but we're either in the Sun Bowl or in the classroom watching film and stuff so we're we're kind of under the radar whenever it seems to to because we always kind of disappear but we're, we're always out there working and, and sweating and grinding yeah, there's, I, there's like those videos on TikTok of like what each position group does, and it's like the the one for the kickers is always not very flattering to you guys. Yeah, it's like you're just like jumping in the pool or something. I know people don't know how how much it is because I could I guarantee you that if you set 99.9 percent of people out to kick a 40 yard field goal, they they won't make it. So no, it's I would, 40. I would say 25. 25. Yeah, it, it's it's very it's a lot harder than people think, and there's a lot of of time and effort that kind of has to go into to be becoming a, a good consistent kicker. Mark Ramos has kind of been the uh, onside kick specialist the last couple of years. Like, is that a s totally separate skill even to kicking field goals? Like, do you have to like do you have to learn a separate technique for that too? Yeah, it's it's a little different. So like, whenever you're kicking field goals and stuff and kickoffs, you're trying to kick more under the ball. Um, and obviously get it as high so it doesn't get blocked. But then on onsides, you're almost kicking with a downward motion on top of the ball, kicking the top of the ball and to have it kind of roll or spin however you want. So it's a little different technique, um, but overall it, it's like still the same kicking motion and everything. It's just kind of where you hit the ball and, and how you hit it on your foot. We uh, last week went through what we thought was going to be like the, the 12 or what the record, sorry, was going to be this year. We both settled on seven and five, and we picked three games um, that we were most excited for for UTEP this year. Um, I'm going to switch it up a little bit. And, Gavin, we're flying by the seat of our pants here. I'm just throwing stuff at Gavin. He has no idea what we're doing. But um, what do you think is going to be, like, if UTEP finishes seven and five and makes a bowl game, what game are we going to look back at and say, okay, that was like that was the biggest game of the season. That was the turning point. That was where they kind of got where they needed to go. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, oh, that one's kind of tough. I would say that one thing that'll kind of be a a moment where it's like kind of like a make or break deal. I would say is UNLV because they're a. I would say 
a below average team in the past couple of years. And I feel that if the Miners go in there and lose that game, then that'll kind of lead them to in a downward spiral, I would feel, because they do know that that's winnable. But I feel like if they go in there and they do pull out a victory, then they'll definitely be be uh, kind of going to the a bowl game, if not even like the, the championship for CUSA. So hopefully, hopefully they can go in there and get the get the job done. But I feel like that's that's kind of a big tell for for this season. The season it's so cliche to like say it's the season opener against Jacksonville State, but like that is we talked about it on the first episode. I think like I would be so mad if I was Coach Dimmel having to go you're the you're the team that's been in conference usa the longest and there's uh they're sending you on a road game to play like this team that's been called up from fcs basically to save the league like i'd be for the season over like i would that that that's personally how i would feel so but i do think that game has a little bit of a north texas feel from last year right where if you win that game against north texas like maybe things go a little bit differently i think jacksonville state could be a similar one i don't want to put all the pressure on the on a season opener i'm I think I'll go Louisiana Tech because it's a Friday night, um, short preparation off of that UNLV game at home. I mean, you, you do get back-to-back home games, but I think that Louisiana Tech game, like if they are in a bad position, like out of the non-conference play or the early portion of the season, like say maybe they're one in three after those two Power Five games, say you beat UNLV, like to get to back to two and three, like suddenly like that Louisiana tech game could be really big to get back to 500. Um, um, or on the opposite side of it, like it could also be huge to swing it to where they're four and two, five and, you know, five and two heading into the, to the battle of I-10. So. Yeah, no, that is, that's a, that's a good game. Cause usually we play law tech pretty good at home. Yeah. They're not the best kind of away team and, and we're a better home than away. So I feel like that that'll be a good kind of test and a good, um a good game to kind of see where where the the team is going to be headed what game are you most nervous about honestly probably new mexico state just because they have been uh this past year they they kind of turned it up to a different level so and obviously it's uh the battle i-10 our rivals and everything so i would say that that's kind of the game that i'm most nervous about because it's New Mexico State versus UTEP like they're that's the biggest game on probably both of their schedules when it comes to to rivalries and to kind of bragging rights so so hopefully the 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 miners can pull that one off Cal Wallace said again sitting in here uh with us let, let, did you leave the team in sacks last year second on the team in sacks how does it how does the place kicker and a, the linebacker become friends though because that's you don't you don't hang out I, I would I wouldn't think like you hang out as much mm-hmm um i honestly don't remember how we like officially started hanging out all i know is we've always like been friends but then this past year for fall camp um it was just basically like we wouldn't want to go home during like a two-hour break or something so we'd go to one of like the meeting rooms and just hang out and like play games on our phones and stuff and then from then on it kind of like we just started hanging out more and everything and then throughout the season we'd hang out and then now like best friends and everything so it's kind of kind of a weird story because obviously like kickers usually out with kickers linebackers and linebackers and then me and Cal are both like I'm a computer science major and he's about to apply to dental school so we're both pretty pretty smart guys I would like to think so we just kind of click in that in that capacity as well Uh, you guys make up for your terrible looks with your with your your brains so um 
I'm trying to think here, man. I wanted to let you tell the story of the Florida Atlantic kick too, because we meant I actually meant to do that the first week as we were introducing you, and we just kind of <laughs> we like meandered away from it on accident. But like um, that could, I mean, that kick was obviously was huge. But I, and I think like this year, there's going like there's going to be a couple of games that probably come down to that. Um, kind of tell the story about that a little bit and where, you know, they start the drive, I think around the 25 yard line, at what point were you like, okay, I'm going to get a shot at this. Um, and then obviously it kind of turned into a little bit of a chip shot field goal, but you still have to make it. So yeah. kind of tell that, tell that story a little bit. Yeah. So, um, obviously we, we all saw that, um, extra point that hit off Praise's helmet and then it came off and then they got to re-kick and make it. Yeah. So it was kind of, it was kind of at that moment whenever they tied it and there was how many minutes left where it kind of was like, this is going to come down to me. Um, so just kind of locked in on the sideline, hit a couple warm-ups into the net, and then kind of just was talking to Angelo and Mark and making sure they were on the same. Because people don't realize it's not always on the kicker. Like, that was Angelo's probably first game-winning snap. That was probably Mark's first game-winning hold. So it's, it's not just everyone gets always talking about the kicker and everything and how it's the kicker's fault and stuff, but it's also their, their first time doing stuff like right, that too. Right. So it's, it's kind of a big deal and all. So I just told them, I said, hey, whenever you go out there, take a deep breath. Um, Jello, you do what you've been doing all year. Mark, you do what you've been doing all year. We got this. Um, trust each other. We'll be fine. Um, so they were kind of driving down, crossed the 50, um, was talking to Coach Price, and he was like, what are you thinking, like middle? anywhere and I was like yeah just basically get us to the 40 yard line we have we have a little bit of wind um and we'll be good there so then we threw a long pass and got inside and started running the ball um we were in the middle of the field and ran the ball to the right hash um and then just kind of walked out there told the boys that that we've got this um that I trust them and they trust me let's let's go do our jobs and win the game walked out there um got in our stance and then um, told Mark, I was like, hey, no matter what, they're going to call a timeout. No matter what, snap the ball because it, it was a little windy. So I was like, might as well get a practice in. They can't flag us for that because obviously I told Jello, I was like, as soon as you hear that whistle, snap it. So we get out there, um, snapped it, made it and everything. So just a good little test of the wind um, and then walk back the, the line and everything. And Mark and Jello were all talking to Coach Price and everything. I was kind of in my own world stand back um then coach price said something to me and got locked in again um and then kind of walked back out there told angelo and mark let's go told everyone to block um told them all i love them and then just stepped up and made that field goal and then obviously we saw the the aftermath after of me with my funky run down back down the field <laughs> in celebration but yeah that was that was definitely probably one of the my my favorite moments of, at utep First and only winning kick, right? Even yeah, back in high school. Yeah, back high school, middle school. That was my my first and only winning kick. I mean, it's, I mean, it went about as well as anybody could have hoped for. Like, yeah, right? I mean, definitely. Like, your run, I think. I don't know if I ever showed you the video. I think I still have have it saved on my computer. But like, I'm filming it on on the sidelines, and then you, know, you guys instead of running to me like a cool like somebody cool would do you guys yeah. go to the opposite end zone so i'm like immediate like 75 yard sprint yeah. the other way i just wanted to make you work a little yeah, bit yeah I, I needed it man i needed to i needed to be in good shape anyways but no it's such a cool moment and uh, really i was really happy for you um that you you know, kind of got that opportunity that's like sometimes not everybody does i guess and 
sometimes you know sometimes it happens back to back weeks and or it doesn't go well. I mean, I'm just glad that it that you have like that memory from school and everything. Yeah, no, me so. too. I definitely wanted to kind of leave football or at least college with a game winner because that was that was kind of just a big a big thing because I feel like that's just kind of what defines a kicker. That's what people remember the most because if you miss, then you're you're not, and if you make it, then you're hot. So it's just yeah. it's just kind of one of those things. So glad I was able to go out there and execute with everyone. I'm gonna put Cal on the spot here really quick. Your thoughts on the 2023 defense, man? Because you played a huge part last year. There's some guys coming back. Your boy Tyrese at the linebacker position. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think we got a lot of guys back. Obviously, Tyrese Knight is gonna be back. He's gonna make a lot of plays. I think we made some upgrades at uh, the uh, DB position, so I think we're gonna be much better there. And obviously, uh, Coach Pivotal's been here for this is gonna be his third year, so. Um, They've been in the system. They they know what to do. So I think I think they're gonna be really good this year. You've been in the system for so long. Like, do you think watching the games this year is it gonna be frustrating? Because like if they make if you if they screw up, like you know exactly what happened. Um, or will you be able to kind of take a step back? Yeah, I think it's a, a lot different than what I've ever been used to. Because my dad's been a coach, so obviously I've been in the situation where um, my dad's been a part of an organization. So when things go bad, obviously I'm going to know what, what, what went wrong, what went right. Um, so uh, I think that's going to be a different perspective for me. Obviously, I won't be able to do much, uh, but sit on the sideline and watch. So, But, uh, yeah, be definitely different. So. Lastly, man, just you're, you're, what's going on for you right now? Gavin mentioned you're, you're applying to dental school. So how's that going, and what's the process like with that? Uh, yeah, so right now I uh, take the DAT here pr uh, pretty soon. So I'll be taking that. I uh, applied um, to – the four dental schools here in Texas. Hopefully, I can get in to here at uh, the Texas Tech Med School Dental School here in uh, El Paso. So, but that's basically been it. I've just been trying to finish my master's and then working on the uh, application for dental school. That's awesome, man. Well, thanks for <laughs> thanks for jumping in on, on short notice there. Thanks for coming by the studio. They signed our wall too, folks, in the KTSM studio. But Gavin. Um, Coming up next, uh, you guys will be getting out of here, but we will have Sam Kahn from The Athletic to talk some UTEP football, conference realignment, um, some other stuff. He covered Manziel during the A&M days, where I think we'll talk a little bit about that. What did you think of the documentary, by the way? I haven't seen it. I've seen clips, yeah. but Cal called me actually last night and told me I should watch it, and then I was going to download it on the plane on the way here, and then I forgot. So. Did you root for A&M? Yeah, whenever he was team? there, yeah. Uh, no. Actually, oh, okay. no, that's definitely not my team. Who is your, other than UTEP, who's your college school? Um, growing up, I rooted for Oregon and then Texas. So. Absolutely not A&M. Yeah, absolutely not A&M. So, I went to Oregon and then covered A&M. So I have, like, I, got, I, you know, I appreciate your, your Ducks love. Yeah, I just, I just rooted for him because it was, like, just a player out of the norm. And yeah. it was crazy to see all the stuff that was, because it wasn't, like, not only was he just a good player, but he had so much else happening at the same right. time that it was just a completely, like, it was just a cool story and everything to see. So, yeah, basically. Sure. So, anything else you want to mention on this week's episode or? No, thanks, Cal, for joining us. Yeah, I... thanks, Cal, for, for jumping on for a couple of questions. Yeah. He knew that. I, he had to know I was going to do that. <laughs> He's like, I'm never coming back here never, ever again. Never coming back to the KTSM studios. Well, coming up after the break, we'll have Sam Conf from The Athletic. Gavin and I will be back with another full episode next week. Back here after the break on the Mindshaft podcast, a Republic of Football podcast brought to you by Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Joining us now, our first official guest 
of the uh, podcast in the first few episodes is the esteemed Sam Khan, writer for The Athletic. He is a college football expert, uh, specifically schools in Texas. I believe they call you the Texpert. Is that right? That is correct. That is awesome. What a, what a, what a nickname. So tell me real quick. <laughs> I, I know I said this to you a couple of weeks ago. You covered the Socorro High School baseball team when they won the state championship in 2009. <laughs> we found the we found the, the clipping and your byline was on that. What do you remember about that game? I don't remember anything about that game. <laughs> it was so long ago. Uh, who was it that they beat in that game? Uh, Lufkin, I believe. That's right. Yeah. Lufkin. Lufkin had a really good team then. So Lufkin is about two hours from maybe an hour, 45 minutes uh, north of Houston. So uh, when I got to the state baseball tournament and covered a bunch of other teams, uh, Lufkin made it and certainly covered them as well. But yeah, gosh, I it's been so long since then. I, I could not remember anything about that one. That was, I can promise you. That was still the Houston Chronicle days? That was still the Houston Chronicle days. Yeah, I was still doing high school sports at that time. Got you. Then you went from there to ESPN and obviously ESPN to the athletic. Um, mm-hmm. Before we get going on some UTEP and conference realignment stuff, which will be the bulk of what we'll kind of talk about. Um, you obviously, the reason I know you is because uh, from 2015 to 2018, we were both covering Texas A&M, me at the NBC affiliate and college station, you for ESPN. I know you did other schools for ESPN, but A&M obviously was a bulk of your coverage there. The Johnny Manziel documentary just came out on Netflix. Um, what did you think of it? Because you obviously were living it. You covered Kevin Sumlin at Houston the year prior to him going to A&M and that obviously 2012 Heisman year. What did you think of the documentary? Like, did they get most of it right? Were there some things that were like, hey, I don't exactly remember it like this? I mean, what did you think? Yeah, I, I thought it was pretty good. It was entertaining. Uh, I, I think ultimately, first and foremost, that that's their charge is Ryan Duffy, the director and, and the folks at Netflix. The, the whole point is to be entertaining. And they did that. I thought, I thought they did a good job with how they presented Johnny and, and gave a good overview for a casual fan, a casual viewer who maybe didn't know Manziel or maybe just a, a football fan who knew Manziel, but didn't know the ins and outs. I thought it was, they did a pretty good job of giving a good overview of it. I certainly was watching it with probably a little bit more of an analytical eye because I sort of lived that uh, for two yeah. years when Manziel was at A&M uh, and, and covered him pretty closely because uh, my that was my first two years on, Texas, on the Texas A&M beat was his two years there. And I, I certainly thought there were some things missing, uh, you know, just and, and not, not that I think. Yeah, well, Kevin Sumlin wasn't in it. That was that was number one. And I'm not sure if that was his choice or if that was. Uh, you know, the director's choice, uh, you know, uh, David Ub and my colleague at the athletic talked to him and uh, we had asked about, you know, how come there weren't maybe teammates in there? I would have loved to have heard some, heard some teammates, whether yeah. it was uh, Mike Evans, who I, who Ryan told me they or told uh, David that they did try to get Mike Evans. It just couldn't work out the scheduling thing, but uh, I would have liked to hear from maybe Jake Matthews or uh, somebody, Ryan Swope, somebody like that. And certainly some, maybe some teammates from Cleveland, uh, and I do feel like it was, I think, 72 minutes, uh, the documentary. I really felt like it could have been longer. I felt like yeah. it could have been a two-hour. It could have been, been a two-parter because Johnny is such – there's so many layers to Johnny Manziel. And I really did think that they left a little bit on the cutting room floor personally because th- th- we didn't really hear much about his post-Browns uh time we we heard obviously about some of the depth he fell to personally which i thought was really compelling but 
you know, he had time in the CFL and he he did this fan control football thing. And um, I, I would have certainly liked to hear heard more about Johnny since then. And, and there were just some few, few things like they they kind of glossed over his recruitment, which I thought he had an interesting recruiting story going to AM. and uh, they, they they I felt like they rushed the second year, like his sophomore season at AM, where there was a lot of tension after the you know the yeah. autograph investigation and that first year after the summer of Johnny and all that there was a lot of tension around that program at that time because all the headlines that followed him and and the attention that followed him. And that team was a highly ranked team coming to the year. They played Alabama in week two at Kyle field, which is one of the biggest games in Kyle field history. Uh, and then they, I think they totally skipped over the last game. I think they, they put his last game was against Mississippi state at Kyle field, which wasn't his last game. They had three no, more games the, after that. Right, it was the Chick Fil A Bowl. That Chick Fil A Bowl, amazing yeah, game. I I couldn't believe they didn't talk about that. Like, because they were they down like twenty one to nothing in that game. At one they point, were down. They were down twenty one three early, and they were down thirty eight seventeen at halftime. And they came yeah. back and won fifty two forty eight. And that was a heck of a finale for him. And uh, the, I, I just thought, I just thought there was there's just a few things left out, but it I, it did still I still found it entertaining. One thing Johnny always has been is. His personality comes through. He's usually candid when you talk to him, when you did yeah. get the chance to talk to him. And I appreciated the candor that he brought it. Having all his family members involved, I think was good because it gave a real picture for the challenges they went through, both Johnny himself and his family, and also the depths to which he fell and how that affected him and his family. Did you, you brought up like they, you know, they didn't talk to many of his team or any, I don't think any of his teammates. Like, did you take that as like any kind of shot at him? Maybe that's not the right way to phrase it, but. I I came away like you said like I came away from it thinking that was weird that they didn't talk to anybody. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think it's necessarily shot at him. I think that, that maybe that's just the way they approached it. I, I don't know if that's a director's call or if yeah. did Johnny ask for that? I don't know. I have no idea what go what went into that process. Uh, like I said, Ryan Duffy said they did try to get Mike Evans, uh, yeah. and, and it just didn't work out. But yeah, I, I think what Ryan Duffy said, the director, he said that he thought that a lot of people know about Johnny Manziel, the football player, what he wanted to spend time on the most uh, was Johnny Manziel, the person and who he was. And that's where the family members and those relationships that existed before he got to playing football and, and have carried through beyond his time playing football is why he went that way. And I, I think that makes sense. But to me, as, as someone who, tell stories for a living, obviously not visually I do it on, on paper, uh, digitally, I guess you could say, but I, I am always for as many voices as you can get involved that allows for a really well-rounded picture and, and add, I think it all adds depth and layers to a person. And so that, that's just a nitpick that I had, but overall, uh, I, I don't think it's necessarily shot. Certainly, uh, I don't think it would have been that hard to get some people to to could contribute there. I would have liked to have heard from Mike Pettin, his first head coach at Cleveland. You know that yeah. that would have been interesting to hear from. Uh, you know, maybe some of the assistant coaches on that time. But I thought it was entertaining. Eric Burkhart, his agent, I thought stole the show. Uh, 100%, yeah. When he came Lucci, on, forty five minutes really in, Billy Lucci was good. By the way, props to Billy Lucci for his hustle because he did the interview in his own Texag studio. So he got Texags, the Netflix exposure, <laughs> you know, I see, I see your hustle, Billy, and I respect it. You know, it's uh, 
uh, always thinking about the business first. Uh, but no, Billy's a great storyteller, and yeah, I thought he, he did a, his story about the night before the Browns private workout was fantastic. Eric Burkhart's story about trying to pass a drug test at the combine was fantastic. I thought uh, th- those two really, really added a lot to it. For sure. Before before we get into any more spoiler alerts for anybody uh, that maybe hasn't seen it, we'll we'll stop the conversation. But yeah, if you haven't watched <laughs> the Manziel doc, definitely go watch it. Um, gonna move into the college football topic that other than Johnny Menzel and Iowa State's football players gambling on their own games has kind of been the big story uh, in college football the last couple of weeks. That, of course, being conference realignment, um, Oregon, Washington heading to the Big Ten, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah heading to the Big 12, the Pac-12 utterly imploding. Um, and we at this time don't totally know what's going to happen there, but um Anytime, Sam, there's conference realignment down here in El Paso and the Las Cruces region, both UTEP and New Mexico State immediately start pining to get the nod to the Mountain West. Um, Mm -hmm. And I understand it. I get why they want to go to the Mountain West at schools that they historically um, have played against in conference dating back 25 years now to the WAC. Having said that, I, I that I understand completely why people want to the bigger payout, et cetera, et cetera. I don't necessarily think that the Mountain West is the move for either of those schools, just because is it really worth finishing eleventh in the conference every single year to get four extra million dollars in a TV payout? Like I would much rather be in Conference USA. But um, what are your kind of your thoughts as it relates to UTEP on that, and then also just what do you think of all this, man? I mean, this is this is crazy how it's, how it's changed <laughs> in the last, you know, year or two years. Um, and that's obviously it's a constant of college athletics anyways, like the Southwest conference, what the way of what it looks like the PAC 12 is going to do 30 years ago, but this feels different in a way to me. Yeah, it does. It really does. Uh, I'll start with your first part, UTEP. I, I've always wondered and and thought since, since they've been in conference USA, the Mountain West just does feel like a better fit, like geographically, for sure, uh, from a regional standpoint. And to me, yes, I agree or I understand your point about the competitiveness because that is a more competitive league. Conference USA uh, is a little more, uh, com- I think it's a be- better fit competitively for UTEP, but the Mountain West is better fit geographically and New Mexico State as well. And to me, that's what realignment has ruined to a certain degree is the regionality of the sport and, and keeping schools of the same region together. I I don't like that. We are where we are now where UCLA and USC and Oregon and Washington are going to be flying all the way across the country to play big 10 schools. Uh, You know, we we've had these awkward geographics, West Virginia coming to the big 12 a dozen years ago was not, a great geographic fit. And they were such an outlier for so long until Cincinnati just got into the conference. So now they kind of have a travel partner, but I just, these, these conferences have become so far flung and spread out that I really do think it's damaging the sport as a whole. And it's all goes back to TV money. You go back to the breakup of the Southwest conference in 1994, 95, 96. The reason that broke up was because, they the the top schools in the Southwest Conference and, and the schools in the Big Eight felt like they needed a better TV contract and needed to be in more households. So right. they 
they took the four top teams in the Big 12. I'm sorry, in the Southwest Conference, went and joined the Big 8 and merged with the Big 8 to form the Big 12. And thus, now all of a sudden, instead of having a conference that was all teams in the state of Texas, which the Southwest Conference was at the end of its uh, at the end of its tenure, you suddenly had schools in multiple states, and you could get a better TV contract, which they did. Fast forward 29 years, and here we are with uh, Oregon, Washington, USC, and UCLA leaving the Pac-12, and then Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah leaving the Pac-12 for other conferences for the same reason, for a TV contract. Now, it's not I'm not blaming the schools. These are just the conditions that have been put in place now because in college athletics, with no central person or body looking out for the greater good, everyone has decided that the what we've got to do is get the most money and get the most uh, the best TV contract, and that is going to be the measure of our success and and looking for stability in that way. And because nobody's looking out for the greater good, you got people making all these moves and you've got a conference that fell apart. The Pac-12 fell apart for many of the same reasons the Southwest Conference fell apart uh, with, of course, some missteps in there. There's some some, some leadership missteps from the sure. Pac-12 commissioners, current and past, but it, it's a mess. And that we're, we're going to get some good matchups like Oklahoma playing against LSU and Texas playing against Alabama regularly and Oregon playing against Ohio State regularly and USC against Michigan, we're going to get some great matchups out of this, but we're also going to lose a lot. And, and it and it really does sadden me because I feel like college football and college sports in general just looks way different than I ever thought it would. And, and I, it's not what I think it should be. I would certainly agree with you uh, about that. Like it's, I went to the university of Oregon and the idea of playing Rutgers in a conference game is not exciting at all. Um, there's nothing like, I just don't know how you get up for that game on a, on a Saturday afternoon and in October, like I just, it just isn't interesting to me. Um, and I'm I'm with you completely. And it's just, I don't know completely. Like who is this worked out for in terms of like the realignment, like A&M, they had the year with John. I mean, but really it hasn't gone great other than, you know, since then, other than the orange bowl, Missouri, it hasn't really worked out for Colorado was an abject failure in the pac 12. Utah's made it happen. TCU does come to mind as one that has made it work, but like, I just don't totally feel like it's worked out for that many universities to have it be this wholesale change that we're now seeing. I guess it depends on how you measure success. Do you measure success as, you have a huge budget because in that case, it's worked out for a lot of schools. Sure. But if is, you're, if you're, that, if you're measuring it, it based it? on know. wins and losses on the field or where your school sits in the, in the landscape of college football or college athletics, then, then, then there are very much fewer winners, many, many fewer winners. Texas A&M, even with not having won the SEC or SEC West, I would still consider them a winner because Moving to the SEC was not only about, or moving away from the Big 12 was not only about joining the SEC. It was about them establishing an identity for themselves outside of the University of Texas because they have been tied with the state of, with University of Texas for so much of their existence. Right. And I think they want, they desire to establish their own trail, blaze their own trail, motivated that. And the, we're just talking about Johnny Manziel, 
his success that first year, Kevin Sumlin, that that perfect storm they had in that first year raised the profile of that university. And so while they maybe haven't had as much on-field success as they want, they have been better than they were in their years in the Big 12. And I think they're more relevant nationally. TCU, absolutely a winner because they were successful before, but now they're successful and they're in a power conference. And heck, they went all the way to a national championship game. Right. Uh, beyond that, I don't know, I don't know who else has won. The schools that have moved up, quote unquote, like we have right now, Cincinnati, Houston, BYU, UCF. It's schools like that that have had more winners. success. But it's the schools that, you know, like a like again, I'll just bring up Colorado. I mean, they've got to be kicking themselves for the move to the Pac-12. And I mean, it seems like they couldn't get back to the Big 12 fast enough this time around. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it, it definitely didn't. And they're in such a strange fit geographically because they could go either way. You can right. go west in the West Coast Conference. You can go in a Midwest Conference, which and they've they've lived in both. But, uh, but yeah, it's not and it's not it's not just football. That's the other thing. It's all the other sports that have to make all these travels too. That makes it difficult for them. I, I just hope that at some point in five, ten, fifteen years, that we have some kind of recalibration where we get back to more regional conferences, even if it's football is on its own, and then every other sport is in a regional conference, I probably could live with that. Yeah, uh, I, I do fear that we are heading towards a place, though, where the top brands in college football are going to break off and form some kind of Super League, kind of like what we saw with the English Premier League. You know, they tried, they, there were teams in there that tried to do that, uh, you know, a couple of years back. I, I have a fear that we're going to get there at some point. And I didn't think 10, five, 10 years ago that, that was going to happen. Yeah, yeah that merely that super league, whatever they were going to call. It. I mean, there was so much pushback from the fans that it didn't happen. I don't necessarily think that there would be, I mean, there would be pushback, but not to the point that they would stop the universities from, from and I don't, that. and I don't know if we, if here we would have that pushback. I don't know if the fans would push back enough to kill it the way they did in yeah. England. I really, I really don't. And the, the last point I'll add on that, you ask who are your winners? The TV execs. Those are the winners because, <laughs> because, yeah. Because they're going to get the matchups they want, and they're going to be able to cast aside the UTEPs of the world, the New Mexico states of the world, which kind of already have, but even more so, now you're going to cast off the mid-level Power 5 schools that you feel like don't make you money. Yep. You know, like, that's what Oregon State and Washington State, it's, it's just now happening to them right now. Stanford and Cal, it's happening to them right now. That They're being cast aside because the TV execs are saying, you know what? The ratings for your games aren't going to be as good. We're going to, so we're going to create these other matchups so that we can see the ratings that are going to get us, you know, more viewers and better advertising dollars. To bring it back to UTEP and again, regional like regionally being in the Mountain West, like if they if an offer, I will tell you this: if an offer comes from the Mountain West to for UTEP, they will go. Like they, I hundred percent will go and like I won't I would if that day comes I won't argue with them at all because I get it it makes way more sense regionally you're making more television money because the the Mountain West TV deal is like I think minimum four million a year per school Conference USA right now is like seven fifty eight hundred thousand with the new deal that they have starting this year um so many reasons to do it my main thing is. If you do that, you're immediately back where you've been in Conference USA the last 20 years, where you're a good year is finished for on the football field is you're finishing sixth or seventh. Whereas right now, you're in a conference where you have the third largest budget, I believe, behind I think Liberty and Western Kentucky. So you're kind of on a level playing field with the schools that you're competing against. 
you do have that re- finally, like somebody regionally with New Mexico State that you're in the league with that you can have as a travel partner. I just think that there and there's just more opportunities, especially not just football. There's more opportunities from for their other sports like men's basketball, which is beloved here, has had so much history. Obviously, Texas Western. I just think there's so many more opportunities to have success in this new conference USA and for other sports. I know we're mostly talking about football here, but the Mount West and the American, you're going to have, what, what do you think? In a, in a good year, you'll have three at-large bids on the men's basketball side in the Mountain West. And I'm not convinced UTEP would be one. So really is it, I just don't, I just don't know if the juice is worth the squeeze is more or less my main point on that. Because you're going to yeah, I guess it depends. I guess it behind. depends on what you feel like the ceiling is. What do you feel like the ceiling is for UTEP football or UTEP athletics? Like, can because if you feel like the ceiling is not much higher than what it has been in the last five, 10, 15 years, then yeah, yeah. then you see USA is a better competitive fit. My thing is but, like, is at what point is four million? Is at what point is an extra three million dollars? Like, is it is it worth giving up? Like a chance at conference championships and NCAA tournament berths. And if it is okay, but if it's not, then I, I get that. I get that. But I'll say this. I think you have the right coach in place. The conference championship thing can fix itself. Like it, it is not, I think whether it's conference, USA, the mountain West. Yes. Is it going to be more competitive than the mountain West? Yes, absolutely. But all it takes in my opinion, at least, and I'm just speaking strictly from a football standpoint. Sure. All it takes is one dynamite coach to come in and say, you know, raise the standard and turn a program around. Even at programs that have struggled, my like I look at a program like Rice, who was in Conference USA and was now going to the American, where it's going to be a little bit more competitive. It's going to be certainly tougher for them. But I think back to where they had so many tough years, and then Todd Graham came in and yeah. whipped them one year and turned it around. And then David Bailiff came in after him and then took them to a conference championship a few years later. Of course, his, his tenure ended, I think, in 2017 uh, when they had a couple bad seasons in a row. But they were they had two coaches that came in there and got things going. Dana Dimmel has done a pretty decent job, I think. Uh, you know, a rough start, but got him to a bowl game, which yeah. they hadn't been to in a long time. Should have gone to a bowl game last year. Obviously, yep. missed that opportunity, but they were right there. And then you would hope for them that they get to a bowl game this year. Is he the guy? I don't know. But if it's not him, then is it somebody else? But all it takes is a a coach, a staff, an athletic department or an athletic leadership to just basically put them on the track. Like because especially right now in 2023, roster acquisition is not what it used to be. It takes, it's right. a lot quicker to yep. turn over a roster and it's a lot quicker to become competitive. If you have get the right guys and you have the right coach getting the right guys. So that's where I would sit on the competitive side, because if, if you get one, then can you, then if that coach leaves, can the next one come in and can you continue that momentum? And it only takes to me, it only takes one to get that thing going. So that's where I would say, like, I th- I see your point about the Mountain West, but at the same time, I think if you just get the right guy in, you can win just about anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. UTEP historically hasn't been that place. Although Mike Price would be the would be the argument there because he came in after he was supposed to be at Alabama. Uh, won't get into that yeah, story. Yeah, no, he, like, he, he came had, in 0405 at UTEP. And immediately, I mean, that was the immediate, and that's what people point to here 
as far as like a coach who gets it done immediately. So, um, like I said, if they ever get a call from the Mountain West, I don't think it's happening this time around. Sorry, Miners fans, but I don't think it's going to happen this time around. If they ever get a call, they're going to go. And it, I would I would agree that it it's a move they should make. But I will again say that I don't know that it's like it's 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 the move you have to make. But is it the move that will set you up for more success later? I don't know. So. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know, but I will say this though. The thing about conference USA, it, yes, the competitive setup is better, but also there is no, like at least in the mountain West, again, there's some more geography in common with those yeah. schools. And so there's some, there's a theme there or, or there's some common threads there. Conference USA was kind of, ex- kind of formed as a housing place in the mid nineties for schools that, you know, got yeah, either yeah, got left out or go, needed yeah. a place to go. And it's kind of existed in that way. It's like it's been the place where if you if you need somewhere to go and you were left at another conference, you go there. Or if you're moving up from the FBS, you go to Conference USA. Yeah. And so there's no real consistent identity or thread through that league other than than that. It's just kind of mismatch of schools. That's kind of just the way it has been. Uh, so so I can understand if you're a fan of a program like UTEP that's got a lot of history, why you you would yearn for something else because the schools change out so often too. That's the other thing. The the schools in this conference change out so frequently. Uh, You know, I I can understand why it would, you would want to get somewhere where maybe it doesn't happen as much. Yeah, totally. And again, last thing I'll say on is like the mountain West, it's schools that they were playing against for decades and decades and decades. So I, I understand the the draw. yeah. Yeah. I understand it. So, um, transitioning out of that, thank you for your thoughts on that, though. Sam's, Sam's, no much, Sam's much smarter than me when it comes to realignment, <laughs> so that's why I like to have him on to talk about it. But um, we'll talk. I'll wrap it up here with just kind of, um, you know, some talk about the 2023 minors. You brought it up a second ago. Like they should have made a bowl game. That's been me and Gavin Beckley's thing. They should have made a bowl game last year. Gavin was on the team last year, and he says that. So um, I know that's how the team feels. But as you've been doing a little research, I know you have a bunch of other schools in Texas that you are focused on too. But as you've done some research, kind of getting ready for the uh, 23 minors, what has been your biggest takeaway about what they have and kind of your expectations for them? Yeah, I would say back to the point we were talking about with this conference, I think there's a chance to really make a move here in this league because certainly when you look at Western Kentucky and, and what they bring back at the top, you know, they got Austin Reed still there. Tyson Hill does a great job. Uh, Liberty, obviously, financially kind of outpaces yeah. most of the schools yeah, in this conference, do. pretty much everybody in this conference. Uh, and then they've got Jamie Chadwell coming in after Hugh Freeze left. So that is there. Middle Tennessee's had some stability with Rick Stock still there for a long time. But after that, I think UTEP, UTEP has a chance. Dimble's been there for a while now. They're building it up. They, they should have gone to a bowl last year. I think they all know that. Uh, if If they close out that game against UTSA at the end of the last season, we could be talking right now, sitting here talking, is this a team that goes to the bowl three straight years in a row? Yeah. Uh, which, which they're supposed to go to the I, Hawaii bowl, by the way. Yeah. I don't think they've gone to three mm. straight bowls in their history. So, so two, even so, two, I think two's only happened once. Yeah. It, so I'm looking at 2004, 2005, they went back to back and they went the sun bowl in 1948, 49 and 53, 54. Okay. Uh, and they haven't won one since 67. Yeah. So so they're they're close. They're close. And if you I think getting back to a bowl 
priority number one for this program. And I think it's achievable. Uh, you know, when you look at, you know, obviously get experienced quarterback with Gavin Hardison back, getting Tyron Smith back, I thought was huge. Yep. You know, they've got Deion Hankins, you bring in Aaron Dumas. Uh, you've got, uh, I think they've got some nice pieces on defense to work with. You've got a little bit of coaching staff stability. Uh, they brought in, you know, obviously they hit the Juco routes hard as Dana Dimmel does. But the thing that's key about that is they brought in so many of those guys at the mid-year. So you brought yeah. in about 27 guys that came in in January. So it's not a bunch of guys that came in in the summer and we got to get all this team together. No, you brought in more than half of your signing class at the midterm. So they've been with you for spring football. So that's plenty of time to get guys acclimated. Um, I think overall the baseline talent level is pretty good. I think they're, they've done a good job building that up. Now it's a matter of finishing games and it's a matter of just playing smarter. They, they, they need playing with that edge, a little chip, you know, you do that. Then I think, this is a team that has potential, and, and if if I would say this, if they don't go to a bowl this year, I would be disappointed. I I would expect that. I think it. Yeah, you. If this is I, I've never. I would never advocate for like anybody losing their job and in, in, in anything. But it would be if they don't make a bowl game this year. Um, I think there will be some questions asked by the up higher ups at UTEP. Um, Dana signed a three year contract extension heading into last year. So he would have one year left. So I think I'm not saying, you know, he wouldn't, I don't know if he would get let go, but I think maybe there would be questions, but I think this, as you said, like they are set up to have some success this year. Um, tough early schedule again. I mean, you have Jacksonville state on the road, uh, which conference USA did no favors to their, <laughs> their, the team that's been in the league the longest, making them go on the road to face a team coming up from FCS. Uh, on week one. I, I didn't like that. Uh, if I was Dana, I wouldn't like that. Um, and then you have two power five schools in the first four weeks too. So I just think, and I, it's just so cliche to say it and I hate l- leaning on this. It's all on hard. Like it's so much of it is on Hardison this year um, because he was, he just didn't meet the expectations that um, everybody had for him last year. Um, but if he can this year, then that raises their ceiling. And we're talking about maybe a, a conference champion contender, at least. I mean, this Phil Steele ha- has him finishing second in the league. So, mm-hmm. um, is there, is there like, I don't know if you have their schedule up on your, is there like a, is yeah, there like, do. you do, um, is there a game that you like look at on their schedule is like potent, like the make or break game? I look at, I look at this home stretch. So first off, you, you, you mentioned the first two, it would be really nice if you could start two and zero. Oh. Yeah, you know, if you could, if to, you could, if but... you could win, if you could win that roadie, and then you come back home against Incarnate Word. By the way, tough good one. ball club. They they did lose a lot. They lost you know a lot of staff, and they lost uh, you know a lot of personnel. But but they were a team that went to the FCS semifinal, so it's not a cakewalk. Um, they they've got a lot of talent. So, but you start two and zero, then you're in a good shape. The the make or break to me is this is this stretch right before the Battle of I ten. UNLV, La Tech at home, FIU. You have got to come out of that stretch. I think at minimum two and one, and minimum yes. two and one. The the you you've got. It would be really nice if you won those two home games, and then maybe you go maybe you go get that FIU roadie, and then you're three and you you win those three straight into the Battle of I ten. Um, because after after that, when, once you because you get those two home games, 
that but then you start the short weeks after that because then you get the yep. La Tech game is on a short week, but it's only one day. But then you get you get the bye, and then you start getting playing these Wednesday games. And I don't know how this is gonna go. Uh, you know, Conference USA is doing this for the first time. They're going to those matching windows in October, the Tuesday, Wednesday games. Sam Houston is gonna have to do them, UTEP's gonna have to do them. A lot of teams are gonna have to do this. And this is uncharted territory for Dana Dimmel and his program. They haven't had to play a ton of midweek games. And you're talking one, two, three in a row on yeah. Wednesday. So I think that stretch right there from UNLV, La Tech, FIU is absolutely critical for this team, like I said, to to be on the right side of it. And that, to me, is the make or break part of the schedule because uh, – if you if you do well in that stretch, if you're able to start two and zero, and then you do well in that stretch, then you're in great shape going down the stretch. You're in you're in a you probably put yourself in position to contend in this league. And if even if you don't do that, then you're pretty much a shoe in to get a bowl game, and, and you've got some momentum to build on. I uh, Gavin and I have both picked them to finish seven and five this year. That's the thing I'll close you out on. Where do you see them finishing? I think that's a good. I think that's a good number. I like that. Uh, seven and five. I think that's that's certainly achievable with this. Um, you know, you mentioned the Power Five games; those are tough because they're both on the road. But I, I don't. I don't necessarily think they're, you know, games that that you say well they're impossible. You know, Northwestern obviously is in a very strange place right now with everything that's going both on over the, there. Both the both their retiring. Power Five games are super interesting. Like I I wouldn't pick mm-hmm. them to win them. Mm-hmm. But damn it, like <laughs> I wouldn't be stunned if they do either. No, no, I would. I would not be stunned if they're in the in those games late in the games because uh, you know it's Northwestern's got a situation. Arizona, you know, Jetfish has been there a little bit, but they're they're still trying to build that up. Um, you know, and and again, geographically, that's a it's not a not a long trip for them. So, mm-hmm. so that's you know, the, the, obviously, I think you got to win the rivalry game. Uh, you know. But you got you know Sam Houston, Jack Jack State on this schedule. I I think seven and five is perfectly reasonable to to shoot for and expect. And, and I think, uh, like I said, certainly I think six and six is achievable, and seven and five I think is a good year for them if if you're able to do it. And and could you go eight and four? Absolutely. If if they do, if they succeed in those two, like I said, that those first two in that middle stretch, then you could be you could be talking an eight and four season possibly if. If you do well on those two, those that that early that early swing that those first two and that middle, you know UNLV La Tech FIU swing, if you can do that really well, then you could be looking at eight and four, uh, you know later this year. I think I think I think this is a team with the some pieces there, like I said, from staff to personnel, continuity, all that stuff. I think it's there. I think they're they're if they're sitting here in going in November and they're in the Conference USA, uh, title race. Wouldn't be shocked at all. I would not either. be shocked at all. Would it's a five and two start? Talking about that stretch that you were mentioning, a five and two start is very much on the table. Um, you win that, you win that NMSU game, which would you be five and two heading into NMSU? I mean, you're six and two, and then I think they go on from there. They go on the road to Sam Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Which it, it gets it, tough in the back, and you finish with does, West yeah. Kentucky, Middle Tennessee, Liberty. That's yeah, that's first, a tough stretch. There's a finish. there's a chance they're like seven and two and close out with three straight losses and finish seven and five. Yeah. Um yeah. again, all it's, of this it's is on very the possible. But but if you get that momentum going, who's to say, who's to say if if you are five and two, six and two, uh, you know, coming out of mid October, 
maybe that confidence is spilling over and maybe you're playing well enough and maybe you steal one of those games at the end in November. You know, yeah. it uh, that's the thing is, is if you can get it rolling, uh, you know, things funny things have a funny way of happening sometimes for you and balls bounce your way sometimes. So uh but like I said, I think the foundation is there. Uh yeah, I think this is a team at very minimum that should be a postseason. Yeah, I think this is very minimum a team that should make the postseason. Yeah, I'm with you there. Sam, uh this is why they call you the tech expert. Anything else on the UTEP miners that you wanted to say we didn't touch on before we let you go? No, I just uh like I said, I'm fascinated to see how it all goes. Uh you know, like I said, it's what well, is your six for demo? Yeah, you're six this, already. Is that right? So you're six. So uh like I said, if 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 they if they're able to go to a bowl or finish seven and five or maybe even sneak out eight wins, you know, that maybe that maybe you start having some momentum this offseason and maybe you feel like you're starting to turn the corner as a program yeah. and starting to get a little bit more consistency. And that would be a huge step because this program really hasn't had sustained success for a long, long time. And just getting to a place where you can contend or expect to play in the postseason every year is a critical critical place to get if you can because once you do and once that once the floor raises and the expectations get up there then it it becomes almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy then it becomes okay we're not okay with you know hey we have a three and nine year or four and eight year like no it's it raises the level and it raises and and it builds a culture in your program of winning because then then you have the guys who won and then the guys come after them they know what to expect. They know what it takes to get it done. And, and I think once you get that ball rolling, uh, you can make some things happen. So I think that's why this year is so critical for this program. Dana finally has kind of everything he has wanted in place. Again, the best recruiting class they've had since he's been here was this past offseason. The receiving core behind Tyron Smith looks good. The defense, from what I can tell, they were a little they were a little bit worried about the secondary coming into the uh, uh, fall camp. It looks like they've shored that up so i mean i'm i'm confident that they can get to a bowl game again um and certainly i mean it's dana deserves it for after all those stress that he's been he was under the first couple of years with one win Mm -hmm. seasons and the the way the program was when he got here like he he definitely deserves to see a little bit more success but sam thank you so much it's tough hey real quick right before you go i'll let let interject this real quick it's tough because and this is a place that they've given him some time not everybody, not everywhere is patient enough to give you time. And and in situations like UTEP was in when he took over, it takes time to build. It really does. Um, nowadays, with the the rule changes, that you can build a little quicker. But when he took over, those rule changes were just you know, the very first one was the portal that yep. came in after that, and and then the one time transfer rule didn't come until you know his third fourth year in. Um, so it takes time. But but this is I'll I'll leave you with this. This is a sneaky interesting conference with you look at the head coaches in this league tyson helton jamie chadwell rick stockstill jerry kill sonny cumby rich rod casey keeler mac mac mike mcintyre and dana dimmel that is that is a very interesting experienced group of coaches that, that i think is going to make this conference usa a lot more interesting than people give it credit for rich rodriguez is the one that i always forget about <laughs> at jacksonville <laughs> state i always forget that he's there yeah, so. keep keep an eye out in case he uh last year I think before their opener I can't remember if it was Stephen F Austin or something that he was accusing folks of uh having people spy on his practices in the spring or whatever. Uh I don't know if he's done that with UTEP yet with their opener, but um 
just keep an eye out for that. Richrod, uh, Richrod's a character. There's always a tiny helicopter flying over UTEP's practice field. We're pretty sure it's Jacksonville State. So, <laughs> Sam, thank you so much, man. I always appreciate your time. Uh, appreciate your friendship over the years. So thanks for joining us here on the Mineshaft. Again, folks, we do this every single week. Myself and Gavin Beckley, your host, will be back next week as we are now just 15 days away from kickoff. We'll see you next week.